Well, good morning, family. It's good to see you guys. Uh, we start a new series today about church called Flawed but Beautiful. And so if you would, grab your Bibles, uh, open them up to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to spend most of the time today. Uh, and if you would, please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in uh, verse 13, by the way, if you're following along. But now, in Christ, Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Would you pray with me, please? God of light, we pray that you'd shine on us now. Make your word clearer for us. Make your path brighter for us. Be with us. Shape us in the church that you want us to be. We ask it all in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as we start this series on church, there's a a couple of uh, challenges that we need to address uh, right off the bat. First of all, I want to acknowledge that for some of us, we bring with us hurt Uh, when it comes to this topic of church. And we just need to kind of put that out there right at the beginning. Uh, Maybe you were disappointed by some uh, decisions that church leaders made in the past. Or maybe you went through a church split. Or maybe you saw hypocrites in the church. You know, hypocrites. They say one thing and sing one thing on Sunday, and they live a different way at work on Monday or, or at school. Uh, Maybe you trusted people in the church that were in a life group or in a small group or a Bible study, and they let you down. You counted on them, and they let you down. Uh, I just want to acknowledge that those hurts are in the room, and they're legitimate. And if that's you, I just want to say I'm sorry. Sorry that happened to you and that you experienced that. The fact is that the church is actually full of sin-sick people. And you know why? Because it's supposed to be a hospital for sinners. That's why. 
I don't want anyone here to get the idea that Crossway is the perfect church. Like, we figured out the right way on how to do this, okay? Like, by the end of the series, I don't want you to get any that kind of impression. We're not a perfect church, okay? We will let you down, all right? We will disappoint you. And if that hasn't happened to you yet, that probably means you're new. Give us a few weeks, we'll get to you. We'll offend you, we'll let you down. It's going to happen, okay? That might happen by the end of the sermon. Who knows? There's still some time left today. (laughs) I'm just saying this because what I want to do is I want to put before you that with all of her faults and with all of her flaws that are real, the church is also beautiful. She's beautiful in that because she is imperfect, that means there is a place for you. Isn't that good news? She is beautiful in that she also has times where she actually lives out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the church does that, there's nothing like it on the earth. It's great. It's beautiful. The second challenge is related to the first one, and that's cynicism. Cynicism is an anti-gospel philosophy. It is an anti-gospel way of thinking about life that is winning the hearts and the minds of people in our culture today, including Christians, and we need to chat about it. The gospel, in essence, says this. Everything bad will turn out good in the end. Believe it. Cynicism says this. Everything good will turn out bad in the end. Just wait for it. Don't believe anything. That's the philosophy, the thinking of cynicism. Cynics are people who posture themselves as enlightened prophets. They see everything. They're the seers of seers. They see through everything to what's behind everything. They see what everyone else is blind to. They see what everyone chooses not to see. They see it. Everything is really fake. And everything is really unbelievable. But in the end, cynicism is a way of thinking that deprives us of the ability to marvel, deprives us of the ability to be inspired by anything because it refuses to take the risk of believing in something. See, while we need to acknowledge that we are sinful people, that does not mean that we must become cynical people perpetually doubting that goodness is possible. We don't have to be like that. The fundamental posture of the people of God in general and the people of Crossway Church in particular should be one of optimism, not cynicism. Why? Because at the very center of our faith is a man that rose from the dead and gives new life to all people. Everything bad does turn out to be good in the end. So says the gospel. That's the centerpiece of our faith. We are believers after all, right? So my hope for this series is that we will see the church's beautiful design and that we would desire more to walk towards that reality together. And so let's start with a question. What is the church? What is the church? Well, church is... A people created by God through the gospel. The church is a people created by God 
through the gospel. You, you could boil the entire story of the Bible down to four chapters. Did you know that? Four acts. This whole book is one story. And you could boil it down. Uh, four words, really, if you want to get technical. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the big story of the entire Bible. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. In the beginning, God created everything that's seen and unseen, and it was good when God created it. God created humans to live in relationship with him in the world that he created. But we rebelled against creator God because we wanted to be our own God. We wanted to decide what was good and not good for us. And through our disobedience, we severed, we cut off that relationship with the only source of goodness, the only source of true life. And the result of this separation was that sin and death entered into every human heart and to every crevice in God's good creation. And now in response to this rebellion, God decides that he's going to do a miracle of grace. God basically says, you know what, I'm going to redeem humanity even though that they all deserve death. So out of all of fallen humanity who have no love for me and they apparently have no love for one another, I am going to make a people for myself and I'm going to rescue them. I will be their God and they will be my people and we will live together in the world I've created or recreating. That's the restoration part of the chapter. That's the story of the Bible. And through Jesus Christ, God is redeeming and gathering a people for himself. Look at the text here, verses 17 through 19. It says, and he, it's referring to Christ, and Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off. And peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access, the near and the far, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Jesus came and he preached peace to those who were near God. Now, the first readers of this letter would have understood that group to be the Jews who were working hard to be right with God. They had heard God's good promises to them, and they were following the commandments and obeying God's instructions, but it wasn't working because there was no love for God there. There was no love for God himself. They loved the distinction of following his rules. They loved God's promises. They loved God's blessings, but not God. They were not changed by all these things. And even if they could have followed the rules perfectly, which they couldn't, the rules did not increase their love for God. They only exposed how wide the gap is between God and man. And so, though they were near God in this, in this way, they clearly knew his promises, they clearly knew what God expected of his people, they were still separated from God. They were still under punishment of death. And see, the beautiful thing about Scripture is that it still speaks to us. And in our context today, that's, this would kind of be like people that are raising with Christian parents. You're raised in a Christian home. Or you might say, I was raised in the church. That's just kind of a part of my, 
life. Your parents took you to church every Sunday. Everything else on Sunday, that kind of revolved around church. We're going to that. And everything else kind of gets put to the side for, for a little while. You had your own Bible. Maybe you had your name in the Bible. Maybe you even actually read that Bible. Like You like memorized a lot of the stories of the Scriptures as you were growing up. You knew all the words of the song that we, sang on, we sing on Sunday morning. People ask you questions about God in the Bible. You knew the answer. You were a little kid in Sunday school going like, I know, I know. That was you. You were near God. You, we knew all the rules, right? Don't get drunk. Don't sleep with people we're not married to. Don't lose our temper. Help the homeless. Help the poor. Work for justice. But even with all of that, we didn't really love God. Our hearts didn't really find true devotion to God. See, all of our religious deeds and all of our morality, all of our moral behavior, apart from our relation with God, is just a way for us to prove to God that we don't really need Him. I don't need you, God. I'm good without God. Look how good I am on my own. You know what that means? That means we're still separated from God. And at some point along the line, Jesus came and his words and his actions, and he preached peace to us. Jesus said, you need to repent of trusting in your own righteousness, and you need to start trusting in my righteousness. Your righteousness is flawed. Your righteousness is fickle. Your righteousness is imperfect, and you can never be sure if you're good enough for me, but my righteousness is absolutely perfect. I've done every good and pleasing deed that you need to be right with God and forgiven. Peace. And he saved us. Well, some of us, we have a little different story. Some of us were far from God. We weren't raised in a Christian home. We didn't have Christian parents. Our parents didn't take us to church uh, every Sunday. Our parents may not take us to church on any Sunday. We may have had parents that said, don't you ever go to church. Because those Christians are nuts. And I don't want you growing up to be like them. They're a bad influence. Maybe that was you. So in our mind, God was a being that prevented us from having a good life. He wasn't the one that was the source of, good li- of a good life, that gave life to us. And so we lived openly resisting the God who created us. We did whatever felt good to us. We decided what was moral, and we decided what was immoral for us. Freedom came from being as far away from God's standard and as far away from God's people as possible. Freedom for us came from being true to ourselves, being our own God. But with that came the consequences of sins. Guilt came. Shame came. Chaos came into our life. And death And at some point in all of our irreligious, rebellious living, Jesus saved us, and he preached a message of peace to us. He said, you need to repent of your pride. You need to repent and receive my forgiveness. I've taken all the penalty on myself for your sins, and you don't have to bear it anymore. Peace. And he saved us. 
See, Jesus is redeeming a people for himself that come from all these different backgrounds and different histories and different experiences, and he's making one people, his people. Some of us were near and some of us were far, but we have all been brought to God through receiving the grace of Jesus. As Sam Alberry says, when Christ saves, he also gathers. And that's really important for us to remember. Verse 18 that we just read says that through faith in Jesus, we all have access to the Father, the Father, that is a family, that is a relational term that Paul is using here. God is not just saving and rescuing random individuals. He is saving a big and diverse family. That is what he's rescuing. And here's what is so amazing about the church. People that should be natural enemies to one another, the rule followers and the rule breakers, the Sunday, Sunday churchgoers and the Sunday golf players, the prideful, strong, I can do it on my own people, and the weak, addicted people. They're all bound together because they share the same common story of being saved by the blood of Jesus. That is a story that we share in common. That is a beautiful community, amen? The near and the far are bound together because of Jesus. What Jesus has done for us, not what we have done for ourselves. Secondly, the church is a people gladly living under his word together. The church is a people gladly living under God's word together. The Bible is filled with many metaphors that describe what this people of God is like. Family is one of them. Family is a real popular one, right? We like that one. I greet you guys every morning, every Sunday. Good morning, family. Well, that's, that's one of the metaphors that God uses. Architecture is another metaphor, actually. We read through that a little bit. And society or a kingdom is still another one. That there is no one single metaphor that can completely describe this people that God is creating. What we like to do is we like to take one of those and make it the only one. But when we look in Scripture, there's all these different ways that God Himself is describing this people is creating. And it takes all of them. First, have a healthy understanding of what the church is. In fact, Paul actually has to mix metaphors in order to communicate what it means to be a part of the church. He flip-flops back from one to the other. You'll notice this in, in the verses that we read. It says in verse 19 20, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 20. Built on, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So Paul switches up the metaphors and he uses these, these political words of aliens and citizens here. These are words that speak of how societies are structured and how societies are governed, how they're ruled and how they're run. Jesus, we find out, is not only our Savior who makes God our Father and makes us a family, brings us into his family, but Jesus is also our King who makes us citizens of his kingdom. The kingdom of God is where Christ's authority is made known. So the kingdom is everywhere, or the kingdom is where everything that death has destroyed will be restored. It's where every injustice will be made right in the end. It's where everything that sin has touched and bent 
and crooked and broken, it's going to be made straight again, the way it was intended to be, and it's going to work right. It's going to be restored. Guys, that is a great society we want to be a part of. That is a kingdom where everyone flourishes and where everything flourishes. I mean, you don't want to have like a temporary visa to that kind of kingdom, right? You want to have like permanent citizenship to that. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. And Jesus has graciously granted us citizenship into his kingdom where he's the king. He's the boss. He's the monarch. And since we know that his good kingdom is certainly coming, we want to live that way today. We want to represent, we want to bear witness to his good kingship and his good kingdom on earth right now. We can't wait for that to happen. We say, come Lord Jesus, hurry. So how do we do that? How do we bear witness to that? By gladly living under the king's authority together. Like citizens the little mini city. That's what we are. In other words, we do this by gladly submitting to the king's word in every area of our life. We love what the king loves. We hate what the king hates. That means that we submit to his way, his way of doing marriage, his way in regards to how we handle wealth and make money and save money and spend money, his way in regards to work and how we do our job, his way in parenting, in relationships, in conflict, in medicine, in law, in art, in business, and how we treat our enemies and how we treat our friends and how we treat other people in the church, how we treat our parents. We submit to the king's way of doing every aspect of our life, and we're glad to do that. We are excited about that because we love him and we love his kingdom. And so where do we find out how to live according to the kingdom? It's in the scriptures. It's in the scriptures. Verse 20 says this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's the foundation stone. There are these two big offices in the Bible, prophets and apostles. Prophets and apostles, they spoke for God. They spoke the word of God and ultimately they pointed to King Jesus. And so this is how God shapes and how he forms his kingdom living citizens. It's through his word. It's through his word. So those of us that belong to this new family, the church, we go to the scriptures to find out how to live like citizens of his kingdom. It's both, our, it's both the foundation for the church and it's the mortar that keeps us together. It helps his people take shape, the shape that he wants. Thirdly, the church is a people that live together to display God's glory. The church is a people that live together to display God's glory. So, so far in our brief sketch of the church, we've talked mainly about what's, what people call the universal church. The universal church refers to all believers that have been united to Christ by faith, living under his rule in all time periods and all geographical locations, all right? That's the universal church. But what we need to do is we need to fill out the rest of that picture. That's good and right and true, and that's part of the picture. And we need the rest of the story. 
We need to bring this down to the practical level. The church is also local, and it's concrete. It's visible. It's real. See, you and I, we can't go grab coffee with the Apostle Peter. I mean, last time I checked. Although we're all part of the church, universal, right? You, you, you and I, we can't spend the afternoon worshiping with Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. God has placed you right here, right now, with these people. This is the family of God that he has put you in, that he has given to you to nurture you in your faith and challenge you and help you grow up as disciples of Jesus Christ. As we read these next two verses, I want you to listen to all the words that denote physicality. Denote physicality that Paul uses to describe this group of people God is creating called the church. Check this out, verses 21 and 22. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. There is a visible, localized, organized, structured component to this people of God that God is creating called the church. We're not merely living under the rule of Jesus in the world as individual Christians. We're living this way together, brothers and sisters, brick upon brick, layer upon layer. And Jesus says, says the same thing with a slightly different analogy to describe this time-bound location-boundness of his people in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Check this out. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, I thought Jesus said he was the light of the world in John. So which is it? Jesus says, you. He's talking about his people. You, may, maybe Jesus is the light of the world through his people. That's, that's a different sermon. I'm going to stay on task here, okay? You are the light of the world, he says. A city set on a hill. Can you picture this? You pick, we've got hills, right? Picture a city, and it's up on a hill, and you can see it. Got it? A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and stick it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, here's why, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. When they see you, who they can see, they'll give praise to the Father who they can't see. Does this make sense? The church is, a vis- is visible in that people can see it. Unbelievers and believers alike can actually point to something visible, like a city. And they can say, hey, there's the church of God over there in Corinth. There's the church of God in Ephesus. There's the church of God in Port Orchard on Converse Avenue. There it is. Look at how they gladly live together as a community under the rule of Christ. They're doing it. The church is like a city in that it has structure and organization and governance like a city. The church is not just the people of God scattered everywhere in some vague sense. The church is the people of God gathered somewhere in particular as well. In fact, the very used word, the word used in the Bible for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia means gathering, assembly. Church is literally a gathering. 
The, the, the lights all have to be together to shine in the dark house. What is a city? The city is a bunch of people that were random individuals and said, we're going to live here together, and so when we light everything up, you can see us on the hill. The city is here. You've come into town. That's what the church is. In other words, the church is the actual visible embodiment of this miraculously redeemed people that God is creating. Is that not awesome? That should just, just let that blow your mind for a second. That's incredible. The local church makes the good news of what God is doing real. It's not just true, it's reality. It's here and now and happening. And that's why it matters to God. That's why the church is his bride and it matters to his plan. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to pop down to verse 10. This mystery, the mystery is that like this is this people that God is making. You can't hardly believe it. It's a mystery, right? God is doing this, this way. The mystery is that the Gentiles, that's you and I, we are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's how this happens, through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Let's go to verse 10. So that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom, like the many layers of wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Paul says that when we gather together within both relationship and within structure in a particular place, in a particular time, to sit under God's word so that we might actually live it out in the world, that brings maximum glory to God in the world. That shows off to the world how infinitely wise God is in a way that cannot be done on an individual basis alone. I'll give you an example. If, if unbelievers see you being kind or they might see you being a hard worker at your job or they see you willing to forgive someone as a lone individual Christian, they can write that off as something natural. They can have a natural explanation for that that makes sense to them. Okay? Oh, she was having a good day. I have good days from time to time. Natural explanation. That's why she was kind. Everyone has good days just like me. Does this make sense? Oh, they're a, you're a hard worker. Well, maybe they were raised with a good work ethic like they ought to be raised. That, that's a natural explanation for that. I was raised with a good work ethic. You see how this works? Well, they're forgiving. Well, maybe they're just really kind. Maybe you're just naturally a generous person. You know, some people, that's just their personality. They just love giving to people. That's easy to do when you're a lone individual Christian out in the world. But when they visibly see an entire group of Christians being kind to one another, entire group of Christians sacrificing for each other, forgiving each other of real wrongs they've done to each other, serving each other, and they know, look, you're not related to each other by blood. That makes them, like, put the pause button on. What's going on there? That makes a great case that something supernatural, something divine is happening in those people. Because that's not natural. You guys are looking at me funny. Jesus put it this way. 
John 13, 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And how did Jesus love us? He sacrificed himself to enter into a covenant relationship with you and me. That is how he loved us. He sacrificed himself to enter into a covenant relationship with you and I. Verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love, what kind of love? His love for one another. You guys get the big picture? Do you, you see this on like the IMAX screen? This is huge. The purpose of the church is to display how powerful God is, how merciful God is, and how wise God is to the entire world. This is how he wants to redeem people. This way. Not just any old way. This way. In his wisdom. Only God could take people that should be natural born enemies, that are natural born enemies to him and ought to be enemies to one another and cause them to want to live together in sacrificial covenant love with one another. That's unnatural, right? Amen? Somebody, amen. That's unnatural. Only God could do that. And so the world is like this. They see this happening because the church is visible and local, right? They see it happening. They got to think about this. The world's like, hey, look, I know she's a Democrat, and I know he's a Republican, and I see them eating from the same loaf of bread and drinking from the same cup over there and worshiping God instead of burning each other down. What is going on there? Hey, hey, what is happening? Because that doesn't make sense to me. The, the world's like this. Look, I know, look, that woman grew up in the church, and that woman came out of prostitution. And I see them praying together for each other, not just one for the other. Well, what's going on there? I got questions about that. They're blessing each other. Look, I, I know some of these people, so I work with them, I go to school with them, I know that they offend each other. And yet I see how they work for peace and they strive to forgive one another year in and year out. They don't take their ball and go home and bounce somewhere else. They stick it and they stay. What is going on there? Because that's not how the world works. I, I see them serving one another instead of serving themselves. I see them exhorting one another to live a, to live a holy life, a different life. They give one another, their money and their food and their time. They open up their hearts to one another instead of just talking weather and sports all the time. And I know they're different from each other. So what's going on there? What is happening to those people? Only a God could do that. You see how we're a witness to the world? Now listen, I know that this kind of community does not happen overnight. I know that. I know that's not going to happen by the end of the week or the end of the series or the end of the year. I know that. And I know that this does not happen automatically. And you need to know that too. This doesn't happen by some mystical automated process. This kind of community takes structure and it definitely takes work on everyone's part. And it takes a willingness to sit under God's word and it takes commitment. 
This is not instant oatmeal. There are forces working against this happening. You know that, right? But guys, let me tell you something. When this kind of local, visible community does happen, when it does happen, there is nothing like it on the earth. It stops traffic. It's gorgeous. People long for it. So I want to end with this. I want to end with a plea to you to let go of cynicism if you're cynical. To let go of bitterness if you're nurturing bitterness about church. Please, please, for your sake, deal with that and let go of it. There is no virtue in being cynical and trying to be the cool kid. There's no virtue in it. You are not building anything. You are not creating anything. And you're not serving anyone. You only know how to do demo. And you know what that means? That means there's no future in cynicism. But you know what? There is a future in what Jesus is building. And I want you to grab hold of that. I want you to believe. Because I just speak from my heart here. I love churches. I love churches. I love churches because though they are filled with flawed people, they display the glory and the beauty of God like nothing else that I have been a part of. It's amazing. I've been hurt by church too. A lot. I've been hurt by church too, okay? So I get that. But you know what else? I've been loved by the church. I've been loved by the church that rivals the love of my own biological family. And I will never forget that. I've been forever changed by the love of God through the church. And though she cramps my style, and though she kind of irritates me from time to time, when I look back over the course of my life, year in and year out, I see that I have flourished as a Christian. And my faith was nurtured and strengthened. And I grew as a man of God through the church. The church is great. When this is working well and it's healthy, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And you know what? I know that I'm not the only person in the room that can bear witness to the beauty of God in the church. I know that. I know you guys could testify the same thing. I know you'd say something along the same thing. Look, you were walking through a long-term illness, and it was the church that walked with you month in and month out. It was a church who did that with you. You were lost, and God's people came and spoke truth to you in love because they cared about you. You were confused, and it was God's people that prayed for you and kept praying for you and your family. You needed a job, and someone gave you a job or helped you find a job. It was the church who did that for you. You needed a place to live, and someone in the church opened their home to you. You needed a truck, and someone lent you theirs. You guys would have the same kind of testimony. It was the visible, physical, actual church that God used to bless you, bless your life. Amen?
If you're in a covenant relationship with Christ and he has called you into a covenant relationship with his people who visibly, physically, actually live together under his word to glorify him in the world. I love you guys. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love you. It is true that you came from heaven and you sought us out. You found us. You saved us. You changed our hearts. So we're, we love you now. It's a miracle. And you bound us together. I pray, God, that you would do your work through your word by your Holy Spirit today and help us see this beautiful picture you put before us. I pray that you would heal us, heal those of us that have hurts, and that there would be no hindrance for us walking after you, walking in your way, the way of life. God, I pray that you would bind us together as a church. You continue to shape Crossway into the church that you want her to be, that she would glorify you, not for another year, and then we fold up shop, but for years and years and decades upon decades. We pray that you would supply us with resources that we need to do this, supply us with wisdom, with your power, with love and patience. Give us all that we need to do to be a church that glorifies you in Port Orchard. We thank you for all that you're going to do and all that you're doing at this very moment. In Jesus' good name, amen.